Well, I'm Bob. I'm an alcoholic. And Brenda, thank you. That was fantastic. Uh, I just love the history of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when you were talking, it brought to mind over there, <clears throat> how many people here have watched the video of Bill speaking on the 12 traditions? How many didn't know there was one? You're cheating yourself. You need to watch that. It's Bill speaking on the 12 traditions, and it's got a couple of neat things in there to watch for. And uh, the dynamics of that meeting are quite interesting. It's Bill sitting at this long table, and they're all smoking, number one. I mean, I think all of them are. And a large majority of women, I think he drafted them out of the office and made them sit in there to, to listen to it. But his talk on the 12 traditions was just Fantastic. The first time I didn't know it was on video, I heard an audio tape of it. And it was Bill speaking on the 12 traditions. And, and in particular, you know, you think we have some hard decisions to make now and again in our group or in the aid that we're doing. And this, had, this, this is where Bill talked about the, the piece that they wanted to do in Time Life magazine on him. And they wanted to do, he was going to be the cover story. And he was going to be turned either all the way around or part way around. And then they were going to do the story on him in Time Life magazine. And Bill had to ponder that for quite some time. And in the talk that he was giving on it, he said that he spent many, many sleepless nights trying to decide what to do with that. Because he knew that if he did this, thousands of members, thousands of alcoholics were going to come into AA and get help right away. But then he also was looking at it, and this is the vision I believe that only a power greater than ourselves could give to somebody like that. Because Bill was a power monger, egomaniac, just like me. And here he is with this opportunity to be in Time Life magazine. Now, boy, would your ego just have problems with that one. I mean, you bet. Can't we do it face on? But he had to choose no. And he chose no for the simple reason. And this is when, the, uh, I believe, when the, the uh, saying was coined that oftentimes the good is the enemy of the best. And he knew that, if, he knew that thousands would come in but he knew that we were dealing with millions yet to come. We read a little bit about that earlier, about that baby who's, who's still not born out there and all the people that are coming to us. And we've got, we've got so many people. We're not running out of alcoholics, by the way, so don't worry about your turn to deal with them. But here he is. He, had to, he spent many countless nights, uh, sleepless nights over that, even after he made the decision. And can you imagine making decisions like that and where you'd have to be based spiritually to be able to make a decision like that, and especially when it's playing on your ego to be in Time Magazine? And that's the kind of stuff that's on that video. I mean, great stuff. How many didn't know that there was a video you can watch and it's actually Bill and Lois talking together and they're in the kitchen, they're drinking out of the coffee pot at Stepping Stones, and it's him telling his story? How many didn't know that was available? It's available. You can order it from the General Service Office, there's probably available in your area through your uh, library. I know it is at ours. Our, the pers our literature person takes care of that. And those are available to rent. And sometimes at uh, different uh, places, intergroups or whatever, they may be available to just rent. It's absolutely fantastic. I guarantee you, you will not regret seeing those. And they'll give you some, a real bite out of our history. You get to see Bill talking about this and get to see Lois and you get to see these other people. It's fantastic. Well, now that I've sold some of those, uh, we're talking about trusted servants. And um, I had a, the privilege uh, a few years back, 
in fact, 1993 in St. Cloud, Minnesota, at the Regional Service Conference to talk about trusted servants. And, and the, the main thing is when we talk about trusted servants, it's, uh, we're talking about the trusted servant. Now, a lot of times I thought about it as this is somebody that we have to trust, and that's what it's all about. But there's another side to that. And the servant who's doing the, doing the job has to feel trustworthy too and, and be trustworthy and, and make sure that we do those things. And now you guys uh, here in this area, does your area chair choose your standing committee chairs? Okay, now that's a, that's a, uh, that's a thing of trust. You trust your area chair to pick the right people, people that they've looked over, uh, Normally, they get information from other people, the standing committee chairs that just served, and they do that, and so you end up with trusted servants. If you don't trust their choices, you've picked the wrong person. It's your own fault, straight out. And so much of the time, what we do is we end up asking people to serve us, and then we don't trust them. We just will not trust them. And, and whose fault is that? Because we haven't been active enough to make sure that we get trusted servants or picking the right ones. But if we're going to pick one, then we should trust them. But there's also a different uh, part there. And Brenda was talking about it a little bit here just a minute ago. And there's a thing in this uh, pamphlet or in this packet that we got. You've all seen this. This triangle here, the AA group. See where the AA groups are? Right up on top. That's the top of the heap. Everything in AA is directed by the groups. Everybody else serves as trusted and willing servants all the way down through. So if we're the ones who are doing the directing, we probably should know what the directions are. And that's our responsibility in the groups. We have to be responsible to make sure that we're doing our job, that we're doing what we need to be doing, that we're uh, informing everybody enough so that they can be good, trusted servants. Probably an area where the AA groups have fallen down worse than any place, in my opinion, uh, and this I, I won't preach on this, but it's just my, been my observation, where we have fallen down miserably in the last several years is in our response to the people coming out of treatment centers and court systems. We have failed miserably in sponsorship to these people. We have watched them come through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous and just come in and sit down and we expect them to get it. You know, 30 days ago, they didn't even know what had them. All of a sudden, they've got a name that they are, is their problem and they're thrilled to death to have something to put their finger on and say, this is my problem. And we have kind of failed in that. And so as groups, and this is what groups can get, yes, Yes, sir. Is, is that really a practical uh, view of AA, or is that a uh, what would be in a perfect world? I would hope it exists. It could exist in both worlds. Um, in a perfect world, yes, it would just exist handsomely. But in sometimes we get it a little out of whack, and sometimes, uh, like when I was a district committee member, I kind of slid myself back up on top you know, for a while until they jerked my chain and slid me back down the chain where I needed to be. And that's what it's all about in our area's assemblies, and that's where it's important for our trusted servants, especially, you know, this weekend we were talking about the GSR, but trusted servants in general, it's so important that they're informed and that they're charged, that we pick the people that are best to do that, people that we can trust. And, and when we get into this trust issue uh, on the trusted servants, it's we need to trust the people that we choose, but that... And I think I made a note on this back in here because when I was reading through it, and it says, pick them, but don't be stupid. And, uh, you know, because sometimes in AA we have a tendency to do that. We just think everybody's, 
we're all in this and we're doing so well. Everybody will do good and nobody will ever do bad. They'll never steal the treasury. They'll never take that. I don't know about you guys, but our group really screwed up there. Little old gal took all of our money and got, went and got hammered. We went out looking for her, found her, drug her back. We're all bawling and hugging her and how much we trust her and to show her how much we let her be treasurer again. As soon as there was enough money gathered up, she's gone, drunk. So we picked another one, and uh, she uh, misappropriated about $185 out of it. And then we thought, maybe we ought to have two signatures on the check. But when you pick somebody, a trusted servant, and if you are a trusted servant, I don't have anybody have any problem with somebody coming up when, and asking me what I'm doing and what I did and where did these expenses come from. That's natural questions. I should be willing to answer those. The only time I should not be willing to answer those is when I'm trying to hide something. And that's a two-way street, you know, kind of exp hoping that the people will ask, where is this coming from, why is this that way? And, and there should be a, two, a free and open two-way street to asking these questions. It shouldn't be where you walk up and ask and, they, and somebody just makes you feel like you hadn't got, wish you hadn't got up that day. It should be an open thing, this trust. It really needs to be an open trust issue. And, and I'm finding that, you know, it's that way in a lot of places, but in some places it's not. And, and actually, I think we uh, cause a lot of our own misery by the way we just lay back and let things happen. We in AA. I'm responsible. I've been responsible. I try to be more responsible now to making sure that when we have elections that we find out who's standing and what they're doing and where they came from. And, and right now, you people have a rotation coming in right now. So now is the time to start looking at the next one. Watch who's doing what in your area. Watch who stands up and serves for two years, who actually shows up for two years. In Alcoholics Anonymous, volunteers are a dime a dozen. People who actually show up are tough to find. As you know how that is, boy, we need volunteers to do this and hand shoot up all over, and then on the day you show up to do it, there's you and maybe one other person that got the wrong address. And, it's, <laughs> and that's kind of how it goes. But it's trying to help get the right people in there and, and making sure we watch who does what. It's not, it's not wrong. It's not wrong to ask people in your group or in your district, well, what do you think of so-and-so? What, have you seen anything, you know, or whatever? It's, we're not taking their inventory as such, but we sure want to know if they've got what we want. You know, that's the first place they directed us to ask that stuff, right there and how it works. If you've, got, if, if you've got what I want, you know, I'm going to ask you how you did it, and we're going to have to do, I'm going to have to do what you did to get it. But we, we do ask that. And that's really important to us in our groups, in our districts, and in our areas to ask about these things. We've had some elections in our area where people can just nominate from the floor for the uh, standing committee chairs. And all of a sudden there's nobody going up for, what's people on archives or grapevine or something, you know, there's just nobody wanted to take that position. So there's, it's just sitting there silent for a while and all of a sudden somebody nominates somebody because they're a voting member of the assembly. They nominate somebody and nobody knows who it is. But that's the only name up there. So they get it. And a lot of the time what happens is in about six months before our next assembly, they call the delegate or the area chair and say, I can't make it, I can't do that job, I'm going to have to step down. Well, they've been they, they were so terrified when they got nominated, they, couldn't, they didn't know how to say no in front of everybody. So they go home and they sit on it for six months waiting to figure out what to do, and then at the end of the six months they finally call up and say, I can't do it. Well, the area or the district or whoever has just lost all that time 
serving AA. And that's just not, that's just not, uh, that's not good on our part to do those things. And I just, I just kind of wanted to touch on that, that part of the trusted servant thing. For me, being absolutely trusted to do what I'm supposed to do and go there and do it. Um, as a delegate, I was asked, I was on the literature committee too, and uh, <clears throat> we had a couple of doozies. We had the history book, and that was a, a whole thing all by itself. But we also had the anonymity statement. At that time, everybody in AA was using Al-Anons. And uh, so we were discussing what kind of an anonymity statement could we uh, come up with. And our area, a bunch of the people in our area, our area committee said, well, just go there and ask them if we can't just use Al-Anons. And I said, well, I'll go ask. I mean, I wasn't thrilled about it, but they said, go ask. And, and so in the committee, I, I asked, I says, Ari suggested that maybe we just use Al-Anons. And, and they'd already done, it was in the combined meeting of the trustees committee and, and the conference committee. And they said, we've already asked Al-Anon. They said, yes, we can use it. And I went, holy cow. And they said, but we have to put down at the bottom of it with permission of Al-Anon. And so I'm sitting there digesting this for a little bit, and nobody's saying anything, so I'm thinking, well, this is over with. We can move on. It hit me right there that if we put that on our tables or on our walls, and it says this nice statement, with permission of Al-Anon, it's almost, I, I felt almost like God was talking to me at that moment because he, he said, pretty soon we're going to have with permission of the Latter-day Saints, with permission of, with permission of, with permission of, all over our rooms. And we were having a real hard time at that time getting people to just keep conference-approved AA literature in an AA meeting. And so I had to suggest it to the committee that this might be the, long, the wrong way to go, using Bill's words, this, this piece of good may be the enemy of the best. And, boy, it just got blown out of the water just like that. And then I had to go home <laughs> after the conference. And I went back and I told the area just exactly how it went down and what I did. And you know what the area did? They said that was great because none of us thought of it back at the area. And we did there with more information. And that's the trust that they put in me. But I also re I came back and reported on exactly how I voted on every single issue and why I chose that way. And that, to me, is what a trusted servant is. They also trust me to stay up current and up-to-date on what's going on. And, you know, and it's like, well, at the time I was delegate, we didn't even get the background information except for your committee, period. You didn't. The only way you got information from any other committee is if you asked the committee chair and they decided they wanted to give it to you. That's the only way you got the other information. So you just dealt with yours. But they expected me to deal with everything I could with the information I had. Since that time, the information flow in AA and the areas is fantastic because the information that's sent back, and then everybody gets involved. But to me, being a trusted servant is absolutely, to me, I would rather fall on the sword than do something against AA. And when they charge me to do something, I do it to the absolute best of my ability. And when, they show, when, they, when I say I'm going to show up, I show up. That's one of the things I have to do. I wish I could say that I did that all the way through since I got into service. I had the opportunity to give my fifth step on AA service one time at a regional service conference, and I got up and got to tell them everything I did wrong. That was quite a long talk. And, uh, <laughs> and I didn't get to, I didn't do everything I could have done for my group. I was, I was learning. 
But in the district, when I, when I was the district committee member, I didn't get to all of the groups all of the time. I didn't get around to all of them. And basically, I would like to say there was some great reason for it, but I just didn't do it. And it was, it was not right. And if, if anybody would have really been paying attention, they shouldn't have ever had me be the, the uh, public information and correct, uh, cooperation with the professional community chair. However, I did that one. I really, really got into that, and I really liked that one. And uh, from there on, my service, it picked up. Maybe it was the guilt out of the DCM <laughs> that helped me. But for me, don't ever worry about that you're not doing it perfect. Because if you were doing it perfect, we'd have to fire you. And that's what the rotation's all about. But being trusted, I have to trust them. The group has to trust you. And, and we have to trust the group, too. And there we come upon this, uh, and we get into the 12th concept, and it's so huge. I can only touch on a few things in here. But in the, in, well, this is just one, and this basically runs down to the, uh, in the 12th concept of warranty four. I'm sure you all know that one. That's a good one for any fight. Um, and this is that all important decisions be reached by discussion, vote, and whenever possible by substantial unanimity. And that's extremely important, and we usually try to decide beforehand what substantial unanimity is going to be. Oftentimes in AA it's two-thirds. Sometimes it's three-fourths. But for us, uh, when we reach substantial unanimity through discussion, and, and we've gone all the lengths that we can, and then it's finally, it's finally done, and it's, it's in our home group, and then uh, the group decides unwisely to have a different idea than I do. And uh, so here I am. They've decided something with, with an informed group conscience, and it, it's contrary to what I want or what I wanted. What do I do then? Do I just become the pouting, bleeding deacon over in the corner? Or what do I do? Do I go with the group conscience? I can still bring things back up for discussion. I just have to do it in a manner that's somewhat likable, <laughs> you know. I have, oh, I heard a thing about, we asked a guy one time, why is it that some people become bleeding deacons and others become elder statesmen? And he said, we all become bleeding deacons. Some of us just don't get over it. Uh, that was pretty good. But um, for me, being a trusted servant is, is the absolute, and doing what the group, group has decided. I have to trust my group, too, and uh, making sure that I bring back all the reports and make sure that I bring back all my expenses and turn those over to them. There's a – I must stay out of that one. That might cause dissension. Um, there's one other thing here, and this is something that we really need to trust, and is that I trust the structure system the way it was designed. It was absolutely designed to work so well. Once in a while, we AAs have a tendency to be able to find a way to find a niche in there and twist that black stuff in the book and turn it a little bit. We use the white stuff to do that. But we get it kind of turned to fit our purpose. And what I need to do is trust that the way it was developed and how it came about. And I heard a, there's a statement that Bill wrote. This is paraphrasing. He says that the, uh, the, the traditions are not a monument to our our great successes. They're more a testament to our colossal failures. And, I, and the concepts are the same thing. How did we get those? Because we thought, this is a good idea. No, we thought, that was a bad idea. Let's put something down on paper so we don't do that again. And that's, that's kind of how these all came about. Today, I'm an alcoholic that I have absolutely 36 principles that I can look up in a book and put my finger on them and read about them. You know how many I had just before I showed up here? <laughs> One. 
do you before you do me. That was it. And now I got 36 that don't involve that one at all, except to teach me how to help you if I can. And I think that's fantastic. And, and the, the triangle that we have, I was also there when we lost the circle and triangle deal. That was, wasn't too volatile. But the triangle is, is, is really strong, and it's recovery, unity, and service. But none of those can stand up without the principles that, they rep, that represent them. So if we're not living up to all those principles, we're weakening one side or the other of that triangle. And me as a trust, as a servant to AA, I have to make sure that I'm living up to all those, that I'm not driving by mandate. And as an alcoholic, sometimes I'm fairly good at kind of uh, manipulating, let's say, to make it sound better my direction. And I have to, ver I have to watch that very carefully because I become convinced that what I'm saying is absolutely right. Um, my brain tells me that all my ideas are good. And I have to watch that. What I have to do is truly try to represent this. I, I talk to my sponsor. I read the literature. And I try to serve to the best of my ability. I try to do that every time. And that's what I expect from the people that serve my home group, the, the group that allows me to be there, the district, and the area. That's what we expect. And we have every right to ask that of them. Because this is talking about AA. This isn't about a popularity contest. Every job in AA is far more important than the person in it. And that was hard for me to grasp at first, but it's like our first tradition says, the group come first and individuals come shortly thereafter, but it's a group first. So that job is much more important than worrying about the feelings. And we get into that quite a bit. I do. Am I going to hurt their feelings? You know, And I don't want to do that, but sometimes if their feelings are hurt, sometimes that's not even my fault. <laughs> that's what they have sponsors for. Go talk to your sponsor about your hurt feelings. We'll get back to the other stuff here in a little while. But in this, here's one that can cause some... Uh, this is one that I have to really watch it. I stick to this, too. And it says, The primary purpose of an AA group is to carry the AA message to alcoholics. Experience with alcohol is one thing all AA members have in common. It is misleading to hint or give the impression that AA solves other problems or knows what to do about addiction or to, dr or to drugs. That one gets to be a fairly volatile issue now and again in AA, around AA. It gets very volatile. And we've had, we had a riot in the treatment center in Billings one night over that, talking about closed meetings. and I mean, it was a flat-out riot. Uh, a guy from my home group who is a, uh, the treatment chair and I were sitting there giving an orientation to AA, what AA is and what it isn't. And when we got to the closed and open meetings, when we went in there that evening, all these people looked angry, but I thought they had just arrived, you know. <laughs> and I, I thought, they're, they're really angry. Well, what they were, they were ready for us. One of them had been there a month before and had walked out and left the treatment center, but they got him back. And when he came back, he was ready to do battle. And he had enlisted everybody else. Well, here we are. We sat down, and we had, and as soon as we said what closed meetings were, this person explodes, and the other one exploded. And pretty soon they're getting up and they're walking out of the room and they're getting other people and coming back and they're screaming and hollering. They're standing, one of them standing, used to be they crowded my space. That was always a bad thing to do. But this person was really crowding my space and calling me and my friend uh, names that ended in ER and started with F and some other things. And, and we just sat there. Principles of the program. We just sat there. We kept a calm voice. We did not try to out-holler them. And we just stayed there. We were only supposed to be there for an hour. We were there an hour and 20 minutes. 
trying to just talk calmly to some of the people that wanted to ask questions, but these people kept screaming. We asked for the person in charge to come in, and they came in and started trying to out-holler them, and that didn't work. But the result was is that we stayed there. The principals of the, the person that we trusted to do that job, we stayed there and we did the job, and we did not cause a problem. I didn't even stand up because sometimes people take that as intimidation and didn't want to do anything that led to problems. But we discussed this with the treatment center afterwards. And because we have, because of this trusted servant thing, we talked with the people who ran the, the treatment center and things were settled and things were changed and some of ours was changed and some of theirs was changed. And the result is, is that now we have, it's very quiet, it, it works good, they ask lots of questions and it works. But that's because there was somebody there that could be trusted and didn't get up and punch somebody out. You know, yes? Okay, the question was, um, if somebody introduces themselves as an addict in a, in a, a closed AA meeting or, or some of the other terminology like a junkie, uh, addict, whatever, um, and how do we handle that? How does the group handle it or how do I handle it? Me, personally, how I handle that is I don't jump up in the middle of me and start screaming at them. I believe that we were told that we were supposed to be loving, uh, uh, love and tolerance is our code. And, that, and if what we do is we normally, if it's already in the meeting, we don't, we don't blow a gasket over and start screaming at people. What we do, and I do, is after the meeting's over with, I'll go over and talk to the person. And we also, and I know some people may not agree with this, but we keep meeting lists and phone numbers for all of the other uh, organizations, that's, uh, fellowships. We keep NA and OA and GA and, and all of them that we can find. We call those numbers and make sure they're viable numbers so that these people can get help. You know, and, and that's very important because sometimes you get numbers that don't work. But we, we try to have meeting lists. We don't post them right out in front of everything that we have all this stuff. We have it there. And if somebody happens to come to us for help and they happen to just got to the uh, – they need to go to a different place – then we, we show them, we give them the uh, information where they can go. We also have a meeting list there that shows all open meetings. However, we don't try to um, um, mislead them to the understanding that uh, open meetings are the back door in for them. We try to get them the help that they need because we have in AA killed people before by trying to be everything to everybody. But we don't do it, we do it... Uh, very lovingly and tolerant, and if they happen to be somebody that wants to stay in that meeting and they are an alcoholic, and when you talk to them, we just talk about singleness of purpose, and we, some people don't think you teach AA, you do. I mean, the people come to us, they have no idea what it's about, and it's up to us to tell them. To expect them to sit on their hind end in that meeting and get it through their hind end, it just doesn't work. We, we need to explain to them. Sometimes just give them a brief history of what AA really is. This is amazing. It, it, it just opens eyes up. But our job is to be loving and tolerant and try to guide these people to where they might get the best help for them. Oh, problems other than alcohol. Fantastic. To just get their attention, hand them the little short one, the abbreviated version, but tell them the answers to all those other questions in there are in this one, and you hold that up, and it has, some great, uh, it has a great definition of what Alcoholics Anonymous is, what our purpose is, um, abstinence from alcohol, 
and it gives a lot of stuff in there answering questions like who can belong and who can't, and they're, and they're done in a very good manner. And, and there was a great author who wrote them, as a matter of fact, if you read that pamphlet. Has everybody, who always written, uh, read the pamphlet Problem, Problems Other Than Alcohol? Please, everybody read it. It's really important to have read that so that when people come to us and, and they found the wrong place, or maybe perhaps they're not sure, we can give this to them to help them make up their mind. Because there are a few of us that show up that don't believe we're alcoholics at AA. We'd rather be called anything. I told that to the lady at the psych ward. She, we, she called me in for a meeting after we ran a meeting at the psych ward, and she says, we were talking about something. I says, well, you know, boy, us alcoholics, we'd rather come in here and say we're nuts than, than say we're alcoholic. And she says, you're kidding. I said, uh, I, said well, I think we need an in-service workshop here at the psych ward. <laughs> And we did. We had one after that. But they couldn't believe that alcoholics would actually rather come in there and say they're insane and get a little bit looped up on whatever they shoot you with and stay in there and then escape back out to alcohol. They, they just found that unbelievable that we would do such things. <laughs> they need to come to some roundups and listen to speakers. <laughs> Montana. Okay, the question was, um, <clears throat> sometimes uh, treatment center, centers and other facilities send people to us in group, uh, and some of them are alcoholics, some aren't, some have various other problems, uh, some have no alcohol problem at all, and they're all sent to us. And how do we address that as a group? Does that pretty well capture it? That's a great question, because we've had that a lot of times, a lot of times. And that's where it is so important in your district to have a good CPC committee, cooperation with the professional community. And if there's, there's a position there, public information is very important also, but cooperation with the professional community, you really need to have somebody who's diplomatic on that committee that's going out there and talking to these people. Because believe it or not, there are some egos involved with some of the professional community. <laughs> and uh, you have to really be careful of that, and it's how you address them and how, you, how we talk to them and how we treat them. And, and treat them with the respect that they're due and discuss these things. And what we have done is we've taken them up meeting lists and we've shown them where the open and closed meetings are. We've explained to them again what open and closed meetings are and asked them, and we tell them, and it's right at the bottom of the, the information, uh, information about AA or on AA, and it tells you what AA does and does not do. There's like three versions of those I think Tom and I have found, about three or four. One of them, the statement on... Uh, uh, singleness of purpose. One's Dr. Vincent Doyle. One is uh, George Valiant, and another one has no name. I know that, but they're all good, and we take those to them also, and we try to explain all of these things. And and at the bottom of that page, it says, in the end run, what we all want is the same thing. We want to help the alcoholic recover. 
They do and we do. And we try to find a balance in there where we can do that with them and cooperate with them. We don't affiliate with them, but we try to cooperate with them. And so sometimes rather than go up there and say, look, you can't do that, sometimes it's better for like the CPC committee to come up and say, you know, we're having a little bit of problems. How can we solve that? What, what do you think we can do? And sit down with them. Take them to lunch if you have to. Or if you're lucky, like the last time they invited us to lunch. But, but going there and talking to them has been the, the better solution. Um, you, you get students from the colleges and stuff attending your meetings. You want to see some nervous alkies is when they come in and start taking notes. <laughs> Boy, I mean, we really get nervous. We have started going to the professors and giving them uh, open, giving them meeting lists with the, all the open meetings marked and explain why it's so important because there's alcoholics whose lives depend on this, and they come to the closed meetings where they can openly talk about this and not have to worry about it. And we've had, we've had nothing but cooperation with the people at the colleges. Actually, they ask us up there to talk about it at times with their students. Uh, the same way with our treatment facilities. And our, uh, in, there's, we have the in-house and we have also the uh, outpatient, intensive outpatient and outpatient. And we've worked with all of them. And we also work with the pre-release center. I know you have those where they're right down in your neighborhood and they send a lot of people over. And we've worked with a lot of them. And we take meetings into them, too. And uh, we've, we just try to keep this open. And that's one of the neat things. That's one of the best things about having districts is that all of the groups can come together and pool their information and find, have somebody be the contact person. And I cannot stress enough that you have somebody who's trusted, as a, that is informed about AA, and is up on the traditions and up on the concepts, you know, and maybe they can be guided by somebody who is, that has already been through there. But when you go to these people and you talk to them, you have to treat them with respect and try to impress upon them what AA is and what it's all about. And we have found that it's really important, uh, it's, we found it, it's also important to uh, give them a little bit of a breakdown on what our structure is and why we are here and not just somebody else. And instead of having somebody from every group hitting on them, we've got one name where they can call. They don't have to worry about trying to get all these other people. They can call one number and get a hold of either our, our CPC chair or the uh, DCM, and they can get action. And then we only have one person taking the problems from all the groups back to them. So we don't have this. We don't antagonize them. And we found that this... Uh, they develop a relationship with them over a two, about a two-year period. And if they've served on the committee before, it's even longer. But this, re this relationship they develop with them, it just makes things flow so much better, and we eliminate a lot of these problems. Yes? All we can do is request anyway. Oh, the question was, would it work better to send a letter? Uh, if, if, since we have such a big district and we have so many of them, could, could sending letters also work if, if you can't get to all of them person to person? And um, we can't tell anybody what to do. We can't even tell the courts what to do. We just go ask them, you know, could, could we cooperate here? You know, but what we can do is... We try to get to them all personally, and if you absolutely cannot, I guess then you would have to, to write them. If, do you get junk mail? What do you do with it? 
most times, I got a, I got a dumpster right by my mailbox out by the county road. <laughs> it doesn't even get to the house. <laughs> Just start shuffling it off. But what we have to do is make it very clear. Don't do a lot of stuff on there. Make it clear, very short and concise. Maybe even phone them and let them know that this letter is coming. Do something. Uh, but it, by and large, the letters, uh, we've had poor luck with the letters. Even when we've had uh, CPC luncheons and invited them, with the, with the letters, we just didn't get the response. When you go out and ask them, we got a lot better response through it. But if, you're, if you have no other choice, absolutely. But uh, for us, we found if you can't get it all on the front side of the sheet, don't send it. It's just like a resume. <laughs> If you haven't got it on the front, well, they're not going to see much on the second page. And try to capture their attention, call them, say, please call us. We'd love to come and talk to you or whatever. Uh, luncheons are a good thing. Do you guys do CPC luncheons? Breakfast or luncheons or whatever. Even potlucks, they love that. And, and get a bunch of people there and set somebody at each table with them and let them ask questions and do this stuff. This is what works really good. It's, it's very good to have, again, trusted servants going out there because, you know, you want somebody that can uh, represent AA. And it isn't saying that you got to be dressed really fancy or anything else or be a, a linguist of any kind. Just polite and treat them with respect. That's a key thing. Brenda. Brenda's going to be up here and say something. I just wanted to mention um, earlier, and I talked about this, um, because it's so key. I mean, it's, it's in all of our pamphlets now that, that um, are written to the professionals about our statement of AA singleness of purpose. And I think that it's a really good statement to use as a talking point in beginning to talk with some of the professionals. And I'll, I'll read it again just because it says exactly um, what Alcoholics Anonymous is. Some professionals refer to alcoholism and drug addiction as substance abuse or chemical dependency. Non-alcoholics are, therefore, sometimes introduced to AA and encouraged to attend AA meetings. Anyone may attend open AA meetings, but only those with a drinking problem may attend closed meetings. And that's a good statement of purpose to begin talking with the professional about about that issue. Thanks. Thank you, Brenda. That's also one that AA as a whole has voted on at the conference. Yes. <coughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you just have to keep trying. Just look at how many times they tried on us. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> not that we didn't hear every time either. <laughs> in fact, I don't think I heard a damn thing until I was inside. <laughs> But uh, um, I think this is, this is a key thing, and it's so important to have informed people like your GSRs going to the district and, and, and picking the, you know, choosing the people by election that are going to serve your district and your area because this is, this is extremely important because, as we said at the start, all we are is a life support system for that 12-step call going on, that one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic. That's what it's all about. And we just happen to have the opportunity to go into places where we have captive audiences, prisons, jails, treatment centers, whatever. We get to go in there and do this, and, and it's a fantastic opportunity, but we need to keep those doors open. And I, I know the same thing happens here as happens where we're at. All of a sudden, there'll be a new election, and you get a new sheriff, and there's a new jailer, and bam, the jail's closed. You can't get in. We didn't do anything wrong. It's just 
Sometimes there's an alcoholic in charge in there now, and they don't want us there. Whatever the reason, treatment centers have a turnover in, in whoever's in charge. Bam, you're out of there. We don't go over there and throw a fit. We just start the footwork again to try to get it going. We start working with them and saying, you know, we've been here in the past, and what is it that we can do to make this work? We can't compromise our traditions, but sometimes we can meet them at some, you know, at some points on it. But we can't, we can't compromise our traditions at all in doing those. But it's really important work, and that's what this, that's what we're all about, is doing that. And it's so important. We have so many millions and millions and millions coming. And uh, I know that I take a meeting into the school, high school, every Thursday, and it's my best meeting I get to go to. It's just so good. These kids are all 14 to 18 years old, and they've been so hammered. They've been beat up. They've been sexually abused. Uh, they've been abandoned by their families. Uh, they've been put into foster homes, and it happens all over again. They've been using drugs and alcohol since they were little bitty tots, and, and it's just. And most of them don't know how to read. They fail three times before they get to lunch, and you get to deal with these kids. And there's a lot of them in there that don't know the difference between an alcoholic and an addict. And a lot of them are, are alcoholics. They just uh, they use it to get to where they're going to go and then get the other stuff. And, and you listen to their stories, and it's really incumbent upon us to be there uh, to help them. You know, if they belong in Alcoholics Anonymous, we try to tell them all about what Alcoholics Anonymous is about and that we love you. We don't care what crimes you committed. When you, when you get ready, please come see us. If you think you're going to sober them up, you're going to disappoint yourself terribly. But if you can just plant the seed that maybe it'll sprout just before they pull the trigger, that's what, that's what it's all about. And we've got to have babies be born clean and sober out of that group. The mothers didn't use a single drug the whole time they were in there. And just by being in there, and that's what happens from CPC committees and from the, from the, from the districts working with these people. Um, I won't go over into that one. Um, there is a... Does anybody have any more questions on that? There's a couple of things that got touched on just before lunch that we didn't really, we wanted to get into just a little bit. I know some people did. If you have some more questions on, on trusted servant, this kind of, this all fits in, I guarantee you. But okay, the first one was Alano clubs, or Alano, which do you call them? Alano. Alano. Okay, some places they call them Alano. And one of the, one of the big things about them is, Alano clubs are not AA. They are a private entity that has gotten together. Some people have gotten together, formed a corporation, and either leased or bought a building or bought, built a building. And they, they rent out space in that building to groups to have meetings. Some rent out to more people than just AA. Some rent out to AA, Al-Anon, NA, OA, several other people. But it's, that is a private entity that owns that building and they deal with their building. And what they do with their building is their business. Um, if they choose to make it non-smoking, the only vote you have is to say, we're going to stay here or we're going to leave. You know, that's it. Uh, the AA groups don't meddle in, well, let's say, no, that's not right. The AA groups are not, shouldn't be meddling in the Alano, how they run it. And the Alano shouldn't be meddling with the groups, how they run that's a private thing. It's, it has not, it's not in the AA service structure at all. Does, any, does everybody understand that? There was a lot of confusion on this in, in Billings where we had an Alano club, and, and they were both trying to tell each other what to do and run each other, and it was just a mess all the time. And I think the term, the, the name of it almost lends itself to confusion. Niles. Uh, in 
you know, usually the problem that seems to happen is the money issue. Pass the basket, and it, it all goes to, I know, different, where it all goes to one central area, which is the Alamo Club, instead of uh, them paying rent. Now, is that really a violation of uh, probably uh, some traditions or something? You're so cute, Niles. <laughs> the question was, is if the group that meets at, a, at one of these Alamo clubs just puts all their money in the basket and gives it to the Alamo, could that possibly be a violation of a tradition? Uh, Brenda talked about a piece of literature here about where spirituality and, and uh, money meet, and that's in the hat. And I just ran into this in another area recently. I was listening to, to a, I was at their assembly, as a matter of fact, and, and they were talking at great length about how they send, the group send all, many of the groups send all their money to the area, and they write on the envelope how they want it split up and sent out. And the ones that don't happen to designate that on there and just send a chunk of money, then the area just splits it 50-50 with GSO in the area. And I thought that was kind of different because where I'm from, this is just where I'm from, and it's everybody does it different. But where we're out there in Area 40, the groups split their money. When we get the money into our group, we pay our bills, we take care of all of our bills and, and have our prudent reserves to make sure our GSR can go to the, the, pro, the, the meetings that they have to go to. And then what's left over, we divide that up on a percentage basis and send it out to the different entities in AA, be it uh, intergroup, uh, district, um, general service office. You know, we send that out. And that's how we take care of it. And I just heard today something about this where it's, it's handed over to a, a non-AA entity and then they kind of just do with the money however they choose. And also, I, I heard today that somebody said that the, the Alano the Alano Club sends money to the general service office. And I thought, what? <laughs> I had alarms going off because if non-AA entities cannot send money to the general service office. And that's, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't an arguable point, it's just a fact, you know. It's, it, that's just, it's not supposed to happen. And AA entities can send it, but I think that maybe uh, everybody does what they want to in AA, and they have every right to be wrong. They have every right to be right. And I would, my personal thoughts on it would be they might want to read some of our literature on this and how to divide that money up and as to who we get money from in AA, who, who gives money to AA. We get millions offered to us by people who die, and we have to turn it down. Right there in Billings, just, just this last year, a, a, a fellow died and gave his house to AA. He was going to sell it and give all the money. Had to tell him the most we can ever accept is 2000 and he donated that. So we had to get rid of that really fast. It was causing a fight. So we split it up and sent it to all the districts and got it out of ours. <laughs> but, you know, we, we kept our little portion, sent the rest out to the other districts, and then they bought books or whatever they did. But, but you know... Um, Sometimes it's just it's because it's done been done traditionally in a group doesn't mean that it's absolutely within the traditions, and sometimes this is what happens when we start coming to these things. Maybe we learn about this, and maybe it's a a, a situation that can be approached and talked about as to maybe we need to take a look at this if we're doing a group inventory, and take a look at how we're dividing our money up and how are we supporting AA. 
Because when we're talking about the dollar that goes into the hat, we're really getting into uh, the traditions of, of anonymity. Because anonymity is the spiritual basis of all our traditions. And the anonymity of putting that money in the hat, and absolutely, it's not up to me where that goes once it's take, taken over by the group. You know, and, and they'll send it out to where they've got to send it out. And all of these other entities need to be financially supported so that we can carry the message. You know, and, and when I was at uh, a delegate right at the end, uh, John Q was going to be uh, rotating as a trustee at large, and he was talking about the thousands and thousands and thousands of people just in Africa that don't even have a big book in their language. I mean, it brought me to tears. I'm thinking, we have people throwing them in the fireplace. I've bought the same books three times at the used bookstore, I know. <laughs> I buy them there and I haul them over to the homeless, the homeless meeting. And I know I've bought some of those three times. I just, it's just kind of a circulation. But, but our, that's what that dollar's about. That's what the whole thing's about. And perhaps if this group can look at that, they can maybe get into our literature and, and find that. But to absolutely tell them they can't do it, that would be wrong on, on my part or anybody else's part, I guess. But just to maybe help them find a solution and, and become part of the, the life support of AA in our districts and our area and the general service office. Yes? Did, wait a minute. Did that answer the question? Yeah, and I would, I would not, I'm not saying anything against Alan said, boy, do not, do not mistake that, because so many times they have opened up a possibility and a place for many, many groups to have meetings and, and grow and, and participate in the AA. That's not what it's about. It's just about, there's guidelines on Alan clubs. The yellow ones that Brenda was talking about, which you can get online now, and those guidelines have amazing things in there to help us to do these things and, and to keep them on track. Our Alano Club, where I'm from, it got so so sick it had to die. <laughs> it just, it was it was it was like Friday Night Live, man. Dayton service and and people were dropping their kids off and disappearing, and it just got really bad. And I really hated. I was I was I was on the uh, 
I wasn't on the board, but I was a member, a dues-paid member, and I had been since I came in. My sponsor told me to do it. But I actually voted for it to close, too, because it, it, it was, just didn't seem like there was a way out for it to go right. And, and since it disappeared, it's, uh, it's cleared up. Not that we don't have the Friday night dating situation still. <laughs> but uh, does that kind of handle the Alano clubs? Okay, there's one more that was kind of touched on, and then I'll let Brenda have a run at this. Uh, it has to do with uh, intergroups. I know you guys have one here. And I know, I, know, I know some of the people that work there. We have one up there, too. And uh, sometimes it gets a little confusing between what intergroup is and what isn't in the service structure. And intergroups are not part of the service structure. That's just, that's just that's a fact. And, and what they are is they are a community-based thing. If you have the guidelines, once again, on these, it talks about intergroups being, um, in fact, intergroups were here before the service structure. If you, you read the history of it, they were here before the service structure. Many of them were. But all over the United States and Canada, other things have grown, and the service structure has grown. And intergroups themselves do not send money to AA. They handle a lot of AA literature. They do a lot of stuff in the community. And they are based on a community, on a community situation. And uh, in Montana, we actually don't have any communities really big enough to warrant one. We could do it with a district office, you know, and, and handle a few things. But in the large communities, they do a lot of stuff. They handle the, uh, the hotline, the 12-step call, and they, they buy literature in mass and, and have it there available for all the groups so they can just walk over there and buy books for their group. They do many things. Um, but they are not part of the service structure. And many people ask, well, why aren't they? You know, they're, they are, are they part of AA or aren't they? They're part of AA. They're AA. It's all AA members and it's all about AA, but they're not part of the service structure. And that's something that's in your, our, our literature also. But um, if, if everybody that, if every intergroup is actually part of the service structure and those intergroups actually had votes at the district or at the area or at the general service conference. Now, in trying to keep a, an informed group conscience in AA, we try, to, we try to reach all the groups in an area or a district and have all of them give input. Well, if they were also, the intergroups are also being represented in this voting mix, then all the large communities would be having about twice as many votes as the rural areas. And it's double representation. That's just one thing that can, that can go wrong. Also, sometimes intergroups sell a lot of other things other than conference-approved literature, which we, as service structure, we try to just stick with our, our stuff. And, and intergroups being separate entities, however, in the guidelines, they are bound by the traditions also. And, so that, and sometimes we can get into some terrible fights over that, but as, serv as servants in the service structure, I think we need to keep our focus on service structure and our traditions and how we live them and how we do them. But um, they are not part of the service structure, and one of the good reasons is it would be a double representation. And out there, like we have two in Montana, well, those two towns would have way more votes at everything than the rural, and they barely have votes now. So is there any questions on, on intergroups? can't believe that. No. Huh, Niles. Or, or whatever, is it seems that they're all, 
almost in conflict or trying to do what Jenna, like what an area does. And why, what's the, it seems that there's a perception problem between the relationship between intergroup and an area. So how does one try to solve that kind of problem? Is it a lack of information? Is it just a lack of, of uh, you know, not understanding? Is it a lack of not communicating what, what this really is or what? Okay, the question uh, as I have it is, is uh, sometimes it seems like the, the scheduling of events sometimes between intergroup and, and the service structure uh, conflict each other and sometimes it's in what these workshops and, and some of these events are about and it's like uh, sometimes maybe they're trying to schedule events to teach people about how to do service work or something like that. Is that pretty close? Or did I miss, I must have missed part of that. I can see your face. in the literature sales department and groups and whatever and I, I, I don't like that kind of thing so how would we change the perception so people aren't always just getting up and whining about nothing or are they whining about something okay so then the rest of that question was uh, <laughs> is how to you know um, is there, is there a conflict between the service structure and intergroups and in uh, uh, purchasing of literature and, and uh, selling literature and that type of thing? Is that pretty well? Okay. Yes, there is. That's about it. <laughs> and how are we going to get them to quit sniveling? You're not. Uh, hopefully they outgrow that. But a lot of times, here's the most fascinating dynamic of the whole thing is that in the, the, the groups that support intergroup and the groups that are in district and area are all the same groups. Yet you have this contention between the two, and it, it couldn't possibly be personalities, could it? You know? And looking at it and watching it for a long time where I've at, it's been a personality thing because it's the exact same groups. The representatives come out of the same groups. The IGRs and the, the GSRs, they're coming out of the exact same groups, and they go to this, and yet there's this conflict, and we have it there too. But we, we solved some of that by uh, defining who was responsible for what within that district and within the two districts that actually are intergroup covers. And we, we started defining some of the responsibilities of well, who does what. And uh, that, that helped greatly. But there's still, you're going to have that now and again no matter what. Uh, then the only best solution I can say is, is trying to be back to the thing that you read at the start, is cheerful compromise, and trying to work out a solution, meeting and talking and discussing it, getting it out on the table and saying, well, here's what's going on. What are we going to do about it? Not saying, you know, we have a tendency sometimes to kind of skirt around the issue and not take it head on, and sometimes it's best just to lay that thing out there and see what it is. Just kick it and see if it really is a turd. You know, and that seems to help the best. Was that too graphic? Uh, 
I, sometimes I get accused of that. But you do. That's our cooperation. Brenda, do you have something you'd like to add? Bob mentioned this, that the, the inner groups uh, or the, the general service structure really came out from the, the, inner, the structure of the inner groups. I mean, Bill used to travel around the country, and um, I, I've been to the um, inner group office in Boston, and he used to go there a lot. And inner groups um, really, in the beginning, before we had a, a service structure, um, took care of going into hospitals and had like H&I hospitals and institutions and had all of those committees, a public information committee, had all of those committees and were, were working to carry the message to alcoholics via those committees. And so part of our service structure is really, um, you know, Bill traveling around looking at the intergroups and, and developing our service structure by some of the things that the intergroups were doing. So I think that that's um, part of that is, uh, there's the confusion that maybe is left over from that where um, there are some areas where, um, I mean, I know an area um, in Ohio where um, the, their inner group is very, very strong and um, the service structure is very, very weak because the inner group does a lot of the things that the service structure could be doing or should be doing. And so I think what Bob is saying about um, getting together and talking about it, you know, I think the cooperation is what, what really is, in, is important. Um, and I, I think that that's, you know, we try to do that in our area with our inner groups is to co cooperate. We don't affiliate, but we cooperate. And we talk about what is it that, that the inner groups do to provide local services and what is it that the area service structure does to provide services and how, and, and how we can work together but not duplicate efforts. Um, but really, when you look at the history of where, in, where our structure came from, it came from the structure of the intergroups. Well, maybe if I can, I don't know if I can answer it. Oh, to Area 36. Okay. Let me let me see if I understand the question. The question is, basically, is the intergroup accountable in any way to Area 36? Okay. And the answer to that is, what I would see the answer to that is, and I could be wrong. Okay. And that is no. The the intergroup is accountable to the groups that it serves. They have, the intergroup has, um, and it has a meeting, a monthly meeting with the intergroup representatives from the meetings, from the groups that it serves. And that, and they also have a board of directors, okay? And so the intergroup is accountable to those groups that it serves. Right. Okay, so the, the, you know, the other question is, is that if the groups wanted intergroup to lower their cost on literature, um, they would have to do that, and that um, then those groups would have to support that intergroup by group contributions. Yes. 
Yeah. Stirred up some stuff. There's some more. Well, <laughs> is this, are these for Brenda? Okay, the question is, is uh, can we have a better definition of what the conflict is? And a lot of times, I'll tell you what, a lot of times I don't think anybody involved in the conflict can really put their finger on it. It's just been that way for a lot of years. And this is, and I'm not even joking about that, because it's just this animosity between them, and, it, and it's grown over the years, and it's because it's kind of like in, the same, in two people in a, in a relationship, a failure to communicate. And what happens is they need to communicate on the literature issue, something that came up here in the last uh, little bit in AA was that they have, uh, it has been decided to put a 10% uh, surcharge on literature, all literature orders under $250, which most small groups would be paying the two, anybody ordering literature under $250 would be paying a 10% surcharge uh, besides shipping and handling. From GSO. From GSO. Okay, all uh, all be, all ent all people or entities ordering literature over $250 would not pay a 10% uh, surcharge, and they also would get uh, discounts for ordering large large numbers. And there's been a little bit that's in discussion right now, and it's going to be in discussion probably at the conference because I know it's coming out of our region, uh, going there saying that we don't that it, that people believe this not to be fair because the groups support the thing anyway, and, and why are they being charged now? And that's just some of that discussion. And there's a little bit of animosity maybe there that, that intergroups that aren't even part of the service structure are getting a break where the people who are the groups who send all the time aren't getting, a, uh, aren't getting that. And, may, and actually, uh, some of the background information on that issue isn't so much that they want the break too, they want a level playing field for everybody. Just one deal for everybody. And uh, I believe that the way it's written up, uh, they want to eliminate the 10% surcharge and get rid of discounts and just everybody pay the same straight across the board. It isn't like they're wanting a special deal. And I, I just happen to know about that one because it's coming out of Area 40. But that was some of the discussion at the regional that, that Niles was talking about. But as far as for conflicts within, uh, within between, I've got about, what, three minutes left? Uh, before he has to switch to a new CD. Um, <clears throat> he said we can go as long as we want. <laughs> just kidding, Josh. Uh, but a lot of that is, is it just develops uh, this thing, it's kind of antagonism. And, you know, have you ever seen those signs on the doors of A that says, the best people in the world pass through these doors? Well, some of them just haven't developed yet. And I've been, I've been part of that myself. And I've had to just pull myself back from it and stay out of it because I was involved in it. I, I was involved in starting the intergroup in, in our, where we're at, and I was also involved in getting district finally functioning and, and going, as you know, a bunch of us did. And, but there still, there, were some, there was con some confusion on who was doing what. Once we got that cleared up, the animosity seemed to stay. And uh, sometimes uh, some folks don't feel they're bound by the traditions and they can do what they want, and, and it just causes some conflict. And we're going to have that in AA. And we may not like it, but that's just the way of life. It's going to be our best thing is to do everything we can to resolve that conflict through uh, cheerful compromise, setting down, talking with people, and getting the facts out on the table and, 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 and quit having these kind of hidden agenda things be kicked around. 
because we're, so, we're, we're just wasting so much effort when we should be working with the alcoholic. And that's, that's the key thing. That's, that's where we need to be headed and not being involved in burning up all this daylight on these things. It's kind of like thinking for an alcoholic. It's just wasted time. Let's go work with another alcoholic. Is that about it, Josh, for your time on the CD? Three minutes? Okay, somebody have a question they want to get on the CD. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, on the subject of any group and the service structure, when I first got involved in the service structure, I was astonished to find that uh, any group wasn't a part of it. And given the fact that they, um, and I'm also astonished to learn that they, they preceded uh, the service structure uh, in history. Given the fact that they provide us with such essential things like literature and the call from the still-suffering alcoholic who calls in a group is uh, quite often the, the number of the phone book that they go to. How come uh, they haven't been absorbed into the service structure today? Okay, the question was, is because intergroups preceded the service structure and they came up with all these great things that the service structure was b basically designed after, and because they do uh, have the hotline and answering service and provide uh, literature to groups in a given community, how come they haven't been absorbed into AA? Okay, just shut it off whenever you need to, Josh. Uh, what it, and I, I, I talked to that in part, but part of that is, is because intergroups aren't everywhere. Not every, not, every not every town in America is as big as Minneapolis. And out there in many, I think in our region, we've only got, what, six intergroups, something like that? That's it in our whole region. And so when you talk about bringing, them, bringing intergroups in and giving them a vote and making them part of the service structure, you're actually going to be giving extra representation to the large populous areas. Therefore, the small voice out in rural, rural uh, AA is going to have less of a voice, and you're really, it's really going to detract from the uh, informed group conscience of being able to see really what's there, because the large amount of votes are going to be where the large amount of people are involved in that. We're out here where people have real problems, and, and I shouldn't say real problems, but <laughs> they, have, they really have problems with space and, and uh, not enough people to do it and finances and stuff, and they're dealing with them, and they need to be heard, and it needs to be considered, and that's all part of it. And everybody having one vote in their home group is part of it, too. And, and it's been a long time talked about, and, it, and it's always been decided that they provide a community service where a community decides on it, not AA as a whole. Does that help? Okay. Okay, we're out of CD, and uh, so we're done with that. And now, do you guys want to ask the real questions? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Assassination might work. But, uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> really, 
<laughs> CD was off, I hope. Um, <laughs> we shoot a few people up there, but no. In all seriousness, that is a problem. That does get to be a problem. And the group is really responsible for whatever the group gets. And, and, that is, and a lot of that is involved in just what we're doing here today, this workshop. And having my home group, we've actually done, we do a lot of in-group workshops on how to chair meetings and different stuff and, and bringing our people a little bit more up to speed on what the service structure is and informing them. And we drag them along. We don't just tell them where to go. We drag them. We, we drag them with and, and we do all these things and get them involved so that you do have people who can step up and be the GSR. And you do have people who can step up and be the DCM. And it's not about, um, you want somebody who, actually most of the time it isn't how much they know, it's how willing they are as to, as to who's the best person. Because sometimes when we think, when we know too much, we're dangerous. But somebody who's very willing to at least learn and show up and do it, that's very good. And in a, in a home group, maybe that's what you need to decide as a home group is never to have an election with everybody in the room. Have them leave the room or something, whatever you need to do. But that would be your group decision. But uh, it's up to the group to train its own replacements. And I, and I, and I sometimes it, people don't like that word, but it, we actually teach AA. We really do. Because people come to us, they have no idea what it's about. They haven't got a clue. And where are they going to learn it from? But the people in the home group and their sponsors. And they learn it by example and watching and going and doing. I don't know if that helped you, but uh, that's the best way to get them. Because we can't draft. We can't sneak out to another group and draft one. We've tried it, but <laughs> it's best to elect somebody from your own home group. But, but uh, that's, that's our responsibility. And if you have to suffer through another one, just try to make sure that it, it doesn't happen twice. It's, because sometimes it can be tough. A lot of times it is. Does anybody else have a better answer for that? Oh, Tom. And it's not just detrimental to the, to the group. It's detrimental to the district and the area and AA as a whole then. You said you had a great answer. 
When I was area chair, we had a situation arise, and we had no, no way to work this out, and I don't know if you do in your area. When I was area chair, you get, to very, you get to be very personal and watch everybody what they're doing in their jobs. And I noticed that there was two people who were never sending in uh, expenses, and they never had a report, really, and what they were really doing was nothing. And they did that for two years. They'd come to the assembly, give a kind of a report, and go back, and, and that was the way it went. So then we have elections for the next round, and these two people stand up again, and they get elected again. And I'm sitting there, and I wanted to get up so bad at the assembly and say, these two people did nothing. How could, you know, we can't be electing them, but we had no place for that to address that and not cause a lot of animosity and probably a lot of dissension in our, in our area. And so it just happened, and they got their positions, and for two more years they did nothing. And we've been working on trying to have a different form of elections to select these people uh, so more people are involved in this election before they're nominated. But it, you just have to work as best you can to try to, to, try to take care of that stuff. Because to me, it's the most important thing. And, and uh, being a trusted servant and that we provide the best possible servant that we can in our conscience, that we've done the best that we can for it. Anything else? I would like to thank you very much. I'd like to thank the committee, Niles, and everybody, Brendan, all of you, for uh, for having me here. It's what a what a treat and what a privilege. I love Minnesota. I love North and South. Either one, I like them the same. And my chauffeur's from from Northern Minnesota. But what a what a treat to be here. Yeah, I got to say that. Still got to get to the airport, and. Uh, but what a treat to be here and be with you people. And I, I got to serve with some great people. I got to serve with Denny, and I got to serve with Esther, and I got to serve with Don. And these people were just monumental in my sobriety. And Don, what a, what a, what a prince. Uh, he unified our area, our region, like you couldn't believe. He just solidified us. He, he made huge moves towards that. And you, you people have some great service people here, and you have... Uh, a lot of great servants uh, out in the rest of the region. I know from over in Montana, we used to watch all the time and just marvel at how you guys had your service structure set together because we were just stumbling through the dark for a while. And, and I thought, in fact, some of the delegates would come back and say, oh, Montana's in the dark. We don't even know what's going on. And, but I had an opportunity to go visit another region and go to an assembly here just in the last year. We're doing good, folks. <laughs> I guarantee you. Boy, we may not be the best, but I'll tell you what, we're way ahead in some areas. And just to be knowledgeable, the knowledge and the understanding of, of you people sitting in this room today, what you demonstrate and what, you're, what you already have read and what you have knowledge of is just unbelievable. I sat in this other one, and it was, there's just no other way to say it but ignorance. And ignorance is curable. Stupidity lasts forever. But ignorance is, is curable. And there was a lot of ignorance. I heard people with with 21 and 25 years of sobriety standing up and saying the most ignorant things as to service structure. It was just unbelievable. And I saw a young man get up and speak to the issue, and he was well-read, and he had, I don't know where he got his information because nobody else had it. But he stood up and talked to the issue, and he was just annihilated on the floor by somebody up at the podium through sheer ignorance and a loud voice. And I don't see that happening. I see, I see AA alive and well in the service structure of our region, especially in Minnesota and Montana. I just I love it. But getting, being able to come down here and be with you people and, and do some of the stuff with you, I, I just I treasure it, and I thank you so much for having me.